You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Welcome to this week's Domecast podcast, a look at politics from your friends here at the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. I'm Colin Campbell, taking a turn in the hosting chair this week from the News and Observer. Had a great show lined up for you uh, this week. Uh, it's been kind of a busy week, uh, starting to get back in from all the the holiday doldrums and uh, getting closer and closer, it seems, to the March 15th primaries here in North Carolina. We'll start off this week by talking about uh, some education news, seem to be the main hot topic for the uh, legislative commissions, uh, committees meeting this week, rather, Uh, some stuff about teacher pay and also the uh, very controversial achievement school district uh, proposal that's uh, floating around out there. We'll also talk to uh, Ben Brown of the Insider a little bit about a couple stories he's got coming out about the new state budget director and a separate story from that about the uh, issues with the state veteran cemeteries. In our second segment, we'll uh, delve deep into the campaign finance reports that are coming out. The uh, deadline is... uh, uh, today, as we're recording this Friday, so we've seen a lot of the uh, reports come in, mainly from folks who are uh, touting their their positive numbers, but some others as well, and we'll see more trickle in in the coming days. So we'll talk about what it all means and uh, maybe play a little game of uh, guess the candidate based on their uh, fundraising total uh, in that segment. And of course, we'll wrap things up, as always, with headliners of the week. So uh, we're going to start off on the uh, education beat. Uh, Lynn Bonner of the News and Observer is joining me, and she's been in uh, hours upon hours of uh, legislative committee meetings on education topics this week. Yes, hi, Colin. Yeah, there, it's a busy week for education considering we're in the interim, but uh, there was a lot going on. Um, State Superintendent June Atkinson uh, went to a House Select Committee on Education and uh, floated the idea of a uh, base um, increase pay increase for teachers of 10% and uh, layered on top of that some money for teachers who become teacher leaders. And um, that 10% idea was quickly shot down by uh, the House Speaker. But it reminds us that, you know, pretty soon we'll be talking about budgets and uh, and we're in an election year. So, um, you know, the 10% idea is not one that's completely unheard of. You know, a couple cycles ago, the state Senate pushed out an 11% uh, teacher pay raise, um, but had coupled with that, you know, teachers giving up their tenure and uh, getting rid of half of the um, teacher assistance. Uh, Jude Atkinson didn't propose anything like that, but it did kind of highlight the whole uh, two days worth of of discussions did sort of highlight the um, interesting state of the teaching profession. Uh, Last, yesterday, a panel of superintendents came in and talked about how difficult it is to hire teachers. Um, For the first time, a lot of them talked about the difficulty in hiring elementary school teachers, which is something that they had never experienced before. So it really talked about the changing nature of the teaching profession. You know, at at a higher level, uh, you know, at the state board meetings, there's talk about, well, how do we get the best teachers into lower-performing schools? And the, at the superintendent level, they're talking about, well, how do we get teachers? Um, it's uh, And some of them talked about how the state had, you know, disincentivized um, becoming a teacher that the best students don't want to be teachers anymore. The best high school students don't want, don't consider teaching as a profession. Uh, so um, going into 
this session and beyond, uh, the House at least is looking at, okay, well, what sort of strategies do we have to, uh, not just on pay, but on, uh, I guess, uh, teaching career? Yeah. Do we get a sense that uh, Atkinson's putting out this plan for uh, across-the-board uh, raise, everybody gets 10%. Mm-hmm. The past few cycles, we've seen more of a focus on starting teachers, and we've seen a lot of angst from veteran teachers who feel like they're getting left out of that. Do you get the sense from whatever Tim Moore is saying that we could be focused on more of the veteran teachers and, and retention this time around? Well, he did not specify, but he, in talking about 2%, um, he was really – or something close to 2%. It seemed to be responding to uh, Atkinson. And the sense that I got was he was talking about across the board. I mean, he really didn't specify, well, are are we going to go to veteran teachers? Are we going to go to um, the early career teachers? Uh, But he also was talking about, you know, he wants to give raises to both teachers and state employees. So um, there's a whole lot more uh, that's going to be coming out of this discussion about uh, teacher raises. Yeah, and it's an election year, so is this right. a really good year for teachers oh, when it comes is, to raises? Oh, yes. Uh, it's funny how that happens, um, that every uh, election year we, we're talking about uh, raises. Uh, last year, of course, um, state employees and teachers were discouraged when they got just the um, $750 bonuses or that was what everybody was paid. Uh, but, uh, you know, as I said, two years ago, Senate was putting out 11%, and they set it on around an average of 7%. So, uh, and that was, yeah, an election year. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see what happens with that. And right. lastly, there was a, another meeting you went to this week on achievement school districts, right. or ASDs, yes. which does not stand for after-school detention, no, as some it, confusion it, on Twitter <laughs> yes, seemed to indicate. No. Um, but uh, explain yeah. a little bit with that yeah, and sort of where that stands yeah, this that's interesting time. Bill on, that, that would be an interesting bill on after-school detention. But no, this was <laughs> about um, having a, a small uh, number of low-performing schools uh, be taken over by charters. And um, this idea is putting being put forward by Rob Bryan, um, who is a uh, Charlotte Republican and former uh, Teach for America Corps member who wants quicker um, improvement in the lowest performing schools. Um, The DPI has a turnaround division that it runs, and it says that they've been successful, but there is some frustration among the legislators that the schools aren't moving far enough, fast enough. So what this would do was would put five low-performing schools from around the state into a single district run by a superintendent that the State Board of Education would hire, and uh, charter operators would come in and operate those schools, and they would have uh, five years with the opportunity for another three-year extension to uh, run those. They ha- they've they got kind of a spotty record. Um, Tennessee uh, put these in place with their Race to the Top federal grant money, and uh, a recent report said that they really did make a difference when it came to reading and math. So, um, you know, what happens here obviously remains to be seen. Uh, Brian really is pushing hard for this idea. It really didn't go anywhere in the last session because of opposition. But he's come back with it and said, well, this is something we should really look at. He's started to make some concessions for folks who say, well, why are we handing over our our schools to, to charter operators. Um, 
he uh, has some options for schools uh, for districts who don't want their school to go into uh, an achievement school district. They can opt for another model where they uh, replace the principal and give more money to the school. And so there's he, Brian is uh, talking about you know more ideas for improving schools, and he thinks this might be a catalyst for that. All right. Thanks, Lynn. Lots to look forward to and uh, interesting stuff to watch this coming session. Yeah, for sure. a whole lot. And turning next to Ben Brown from The Insider, he's got a couple of uh, interesting stories he's been working on that we'll be uh, seeing show up in The Insider and in the News and Observer in the, the coming days. First of all, uh, you spent some time with our new state budget director, right. uh, Andrew Heath. So yeah. tell us a little about what you discovered about him and, and what he's going to bring to that uh, following in the footsteps of Lee Roberts and Art Pope. Right. Yeah. So, you know, he, he goes by Drew. Um, and ever since Drew Heath was named as the new state budget director, and by the way, he starts on Monday. Um, there's been conversations about, you know, his age, his experience. Does he really have the right stuff? He's 34 years old. Is is that indicative of lacking experience? You know, things people don't like saying at the podium, but things that people do buzz about. So wanted to get to know him and who he is, his experience, how he got to where he is. And uh, by all accounts, if, if you just look at his work history, it's it's been a pretty quick journey. And that's what I go into in the story that will run on Monday. Um, just to give you a taste, uh, he's a UNC Asheville graduate. Uh, went on to law school in Indiana, graduated in 2006, went to work as an attorney who developed uh, experience as a workers' comp um, attorney, and working in Wilmington, actually. Then by mid-2013, he was chairman of the Industrial Commission, which required experience in the workers' comp field. Uh, got a lot of praise for his work on the Industrial Commission uh, and changes that he made. Uh, at the same time, he also replaced some deputy commissioners who were uh, sort of a career status. People prior, uh, before a change in law two years ago, made them more like political appointees. Um, and that always comes with some heartburn. But he also got some praise from both ends of the political spectrum uh, during my interviews. Uh, and there remains some skepticism about his ability to be budget director. But when I asked him about that, he said, you know, he's proud to stand on his record. He's proud of what he's done. Um, he has experience leading a government agency. And he's made some tough choices there, he said, and he's ready to take the reins as budget director for the governor. And of course, you know, that means he takes the governor's priorities and puts them into dollars and cents. Then that goes into the legislature for consideration. Whole process from there, a lot of people involved. Um, important to point out that the budget director isn't really a, a career position, and he's the third of the McCrory administration. So we got to know Lee Roberts pretty well even though he was there for a short time. And then Art Pope, of course, is, is high profile uh, as McCrory's first budget director. So here comes Drew Heath, and we're all curious to see how he does. Uh, there's a ton more detail uh, about who he is and what he's all about, and that'll be in my story on Monday. It's not a 300-page biography. It's, it's just one story, um, but it does give a, a glimpse into who Drew, Drew Heath is. Yeah, and then uh, Sunday, we've got to look forward to your uh, state veteran cemetery story. So apparently there's some issues with that and uh, more veterans wanting to be in a state facility than there's really room for or uh, quality facilities for. Well, it's, it's, it's built around this statistic um, that aired at a recent committee meeting, and that was that the state's veteran cemeteries, the ones that, that, that the state actually manages where honorably discharged veterans are eligible for free burial – are receiving an increased number of burials. Uh, the burial rate is going up at these veteran cemeteries. And meanwhile, the people at the new Department of Military and Veterans Affairs are concerned that the veteran cemeteries are underfunded. And they're saying that's manifesting physically because the grounds are getting a little beat up and they don't look dignified. And that's led to a few kind of heartbreaking stories 
So what does that all mean? You know, what has to happen? Where does the money come from? And is it really a money issue? How does it all break down? What's up with the burial rate? You know, does it just have to do with the age of the veterans population or is it something else? So that's what I'll get into on Sunday. So look for that story. And it it is going to be more of a conversation over the next little bit among some high caliber state officials, including the governor, who's made veterans in the military kind of a center point, you know, of, of his administration. And so I'll save the rest uh, so you can have something to check out on Sunday. But, you know, some context that I don't really get into came out on Thursday. Uh, the governor's office put out a press release about uh, the growth of the veterans population here in North Carolina overall. For one, that it's now the eighth highest veterans population in the country, North Carolina is. And it's never been that high, according to the governor's office. I think the, the estimate was like 775,000 veterans in the state now. And this kind of goes into, you know, the, the formation of that new cabinet level agency, military and veterans affairs to handle all of this. Another stat was that there's a there was a 70 percent growth in North Carolina veterans services locations since 2014, which sounds enormous. And of course, the governor likes to emphasize that, you know, the skills that veterans have and how we can really tap into those strengths to improve North Carolina and that they're a great resource for employers out there and job creation and you know, that, that's not a brand new idea. I mean, that, that's that's been something that's been flowing even at the local level for a long time, tapping the talents of veterans. But um, so anyway, that's a digression. But the the cemetery story is running on Sunday. That'll be in the Under the Dome section. So check yeah, that out. Yeah, look for uh, Ben's stories on Sunday and Monday in uh, the News and Observer and the Insider. Thanks, Ben. Mm-hmm. And we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back in a moment to talk about campaign fundraising. In 2016, when you go to the polls, bring your passion. And be sure to bring a photo ID. You see, this election you'll be asked to show an acceptable photo ID at the polls. If you don't have an ID, or if you're unable to obtain one, there are still options for voting. There are lots of acceptable IDs. But only one you. This election, be seen, be heard. For information on exceptions or for help getting a free ID, visit voterid.nc.gov or call 866-522-4723. And welcome back to the Domecast. I'm Colin Campbell from the News and Observer. And in our second segment this week, we're going to delve into the uh, world of campaign finance reports uh, as we get closer and closer to the March 15th primary here in North Carolina. I've got with me uh, Pat Gannon from The Insider and Ben Brown also from The Insider. We're going to chat a little bit about that. Uh, So starting with Pat, sort of where do we stand with the uh, campaign finance season? What what are the, the deadlines and what are we hoping to to learn uh, about where people stand with only a month and a half to go. Yeah, so this is the time of year when uh, we get all excited about the posting of campaign campaign finance reports on the State Board of Elections website. Um, they kind of trickle in, you know, if, if a candidate turns them in early, they'll show up on the website and we kind of get a glimpse of, of you know, one candidate, but we're waiting for other ones. Um, so I'm pretty sure they the reports have to be postmarked by today, which means they could arrive at the Board of Elections anytime in the next uh, couple few days and they get posted as soon as the Board of Elections can can get them up there. Some are already up there, uh, some full reports, other in other cases like the McCrory uh, or the the governor's race, we've heard we've gotten their uh, totals, but we haven't seen kind of where they got the money from and and how they've spent uh, their money in the past six months. So this report covers July first, two thousand fifteen, through the end of two thousand fifteen. Um, so and then of course they'll have cash on hand, and we get to see who has a lot of money leading into the March fifteenth primary, and and who doesn't uh, for that matter. So. 
Um, it, it's a, it, with 170 general assembly candidates and then all the council of state and the governor's race, it's a lot of a lot of reports coming into the board of elections right now. Yeah, so we'll see a lot of them. Uh, today's the deadline, so a lot of them will come up today. And then I guess technically they have to be postmarked. So the people who are stuck in the dark ages and printing them out and handwriting theirs, they probably won't show up some, sometime next week yeah, on the website. We love it, and the Board of Elections loves it when they file electronically, which I believe by 2017 they'll have to do. It'll be law. Um, I don't think I'm mistaken with that. I think they passed a law that said that. Um and it just makes it much easier for the Board of Elections to post them online, makes them much easier to search, uh, makes them much easier to retrieve for people like us who are interested in, in what's on there. Uh, you don't have to scroll through PDFs um, uh, for people who don't file electronically, people who are, like you said, stuck in the dark ages of, of paper um, and turn them in. Um, so some of them still handwrite uh, their, their numbers in and they're hard to read. Yeah. So of the ones we've gotten so far, I've written down uh, the total cash on hand numbers, basically the amount of money that each of these candidates had in the bank as of about uh, beginning of of January. And this is a lot of this is self-reported, so it's not necessarily coming off of the uh, actual documents. So with uh, I wanted to sort of quiz Pat and Ben on uh, to see if they can guess sort of based on the the strength of the number. You're going to give us multiple choice or we just have to throw out a name? I figure we can we can just yell out names. And if uh, if if we're stumped, I can throw some multiple choices in there to uh, oh make it a little bit easier but uh let's see so uh, you guys can just kind of jump in uh with, with any guests at, at any moment so we'll start off easy um 4.1 million dollars nah, that's mccrory mccrory you're, pat's right <laughs> lynn was shouting out from the corner of cooper which is is close because they are very close and we'll, we'll jump his number in there she helped soon. me by saying cooper and if that wasn't right i knew my it had to be mccrory there yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so five hundred eighty-five thousand dollars, six hundred ninety-two. Any guesses? Say again. Five hundred eighty-five thousand dollars. Wayne Goodwin. No close. Stein. Nope. Little, little mm. low for Stein. Mm. Um, give you guys a hint. Um, Greg Murphy. Uh, Senate Senate candidate. The only Senate candidate <laughs> we've uh, we've heard from who's not Richard Burr. Oh, Deborah Ross. Yep. Okay. All right. All right. So uh, we'll, we'll throw out a little curveball here on, on this one. Uh, $1,000, $424. So really, really low. And I'll give you a hint. He's running for governor. Brawley. Even lower than Brawley. Uh, that other guy. Um. That's that's about all the information we have about him. Charles Moss, I think, is his exactly, name, yeah, but yes. we don't really need to, you know, remember his name other than know that he's that other guy. Hmm. So Pat's in the lead right now. So we'll that see other guy counts. Yeah, I'm, I'm nice. counting that all because right. that's what most of us know Charles Moss is as that other guy. <laughs> uh, Five hundred twenty-four thousand dollars. That good one. Is that good? One good again? one. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that was almost a tie, you guys. <laughs> I'm gonna give that to Ben because yeah, he's he's uh he, no, he's, okay. he needs to catch up. Uh, one million, uh, one point four nine million dollars. Josh Stein. Yep, and uh, there there are two answers to this one: nine hundred thousand dollars. I wrote about this today. I should be able to get it. <laughs> uh, Senate Leader Phil Berger and House Speaker Tim Moore. Yep, correct. All right, let's see who else is left on my list. Okay, we've got a self-reported fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> I'm hearing somebody whisper Brawley. That might be correct, Ben. I think you get that one. 
Uh, let's see, uh, four point nine million dollars. Four point nine million. Mm-hmm. Kyle Hall. <laughs> Kyle Hall. <laughs> the uh, unknown new guy at the General Assembly. Cooper. <laughs> Cooper. Oh, or uh, Cooper is correct. Oh. oh. Was he? Yeah. And let's see, any ones that I've left out so far? Only one left on my list, and it's five point three million dollars. The uh, the big change. I think Lynn Lynn gets that. Has, I think that was she that. she shouted out Burr a little bit ago. So that's that's Richard Burr, uh, incumbent uh, senator. And uh, looking at the scores, I see oh Pat has got six. Uh, Ben's two. I gave one to Lynn, but she's kind of disadvantaged because she actually have a microphone. So you know we can kind of wait a little bit more for her. But I, I do think Pat's the the winner of that. And so with all those numbers out there, uh, what does this say about who who our front runners are? And uh, you know, I guess particularly on the governor's race, it's it's. Is this bad news for Pat McCrory that we've got a four point nine million dollar on hand for Cooper and only four point one million for him? Uh, they both have a lot of money. There's still time. Um, they they both have plenty of money to spend on ads. Of course, they want more. It costs a lot. Um, I think they could spend in the in the in the hundreds of thousands of dollars per week on ads if they if they want to. Um, I think it's it, it's still kind of early. It'll be interesting to see what the next report shows uh, for them. Um, they have you know they have time between uh, well definitely not time between now and November uh, when when you think about McCrory and Cooper and and neither of them are going to spend the vast majority of their money um, between now and the primary. So we still have a long ways to go before um, we can really make a, a solid assumption on kind of who's winning there. Although Cooper's people have been quick to point out that. He has outraised the governor, the sitting governor, in both the first six months of 2015 and uh, the second two months. The governor's uh, spokesman, Ricky Diaz, uh, said something to the effect of, um, looks like Roy Cooper must be spending all his time raising money and not doing his job as attorney general. But Yeah, which, of course, the, the Democrats answer that is, wait a minute, isn't your guy also raising millions yeah, of dollars while yeah, also yeah. holding down a day job? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, that's uh, it's interesting to, to see what that's going to uh, result in a sort of certainly shows it's a close race. Um, and then on the Senate side, um, obviously Richard Burr has long been expected to be well in the lead with fundraising. He's got $5.3 million, as we mentioned, to Deborah Ross's 585000 Although when I talked to her spokesman the other day, he was pointing out to me that uh, most of her money is from individual contributions, whereas, of course, they're going to suggest that Richard Burr's a lot of uh, super PACs and PACs and that sort of yeah, thing. Unfortunately which is, for her, it all spends the same. doesn't really Yeah, doesn't still can't get that many from. ads out. Um, it does, I think, indicate that she's got a pretty good lead on on uh, her Democratic opponents. I, I called both the uh, Kevin Griffin and Chris Ray campaigns after her campaign released their numbers, asking if we could get their comparisons, and uh, they never called me back. So I suspect they're uh, they're not really eager to do much bragging. So we'll, we'll see when the reports come out what they've got. And I think if you also look at Roy Cooper's fundraising, uh, clearly raising the most money of any candidate in the state, um, aside from Richard Burr, I guess, um, it shows Democrats are really focusing on that uh, on the governor's race, uh, and we've seen lots of um, national publications recently talk about how how close and how competitive North Carolina's uh, gubernatorial race will be this year. Yeah, and looking at the legislature, you wrote a little bit this week about the uh, huge totals for Phil Berger and, and Tim Moore, neither of whom have, I don't think, even primary opponents. They're they're pretty much assured of another term. So so where does all that money go as we go towards they November? Can, they can give it to the state parties. They can give it to uh, individual legislators. I think they'll do both. Um, uh, they can give the, the maximum amount to individual legislators, which I believe is uh, $5,100 now. And we'll see 
you know, Berger and Moore, as well as other, uh, you know, senators and and uh, representatives who raise a lot of money but don't have opponents or don't have strong opponents uh, start swapping their money or, or um, giving their money to candidates in tougher races. Um, we'll see a ton of that this year, especially from Berger and Moore. And then there's other people like Senator Harry Brown, who hasn't been opposed from Onslow County, the Senate Majority Leader, who hasn't been opposed in numerous elections. He raised $175,000 or something. And he, so, and he had a bunch of money on hand to begin with. So he'll have a lot of money that he can, uh, spend helping, uh, get his friends, his, his Republican friends reelected or, or elected in districts where they're, where they're, um, you know, facing, uh, incumbent Democrats or, or open seats. Yep. All right, Pat, lots to watch on the uh, election front, and we'll certainly have more stories, I think, in the next week on, on different reports coming in and, and more numbers to tell you about. So uh, look forward to that. And we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with uh, everyone's favorite segment, Headliners of the Week. Today, my new dad and I shot off a rocket in the park. Today, my new son and I failed to shoot off a rocket. The rocket launched into the air. And then crashed into the pond. I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget that day, even if I tried. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of kids in foster care will take you just as you are. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. And we're back on the Domecast for our final segment. I'm Colin Campbell from the News and Observer. Thanks for hanging out with us this week. Now it's time for our Headliners of the Week segment. Who is your Headliner of the Week? Who is your Headliner of the Week? Who is your Headliner of the Week? Headliner of the Week. Thanks, Rapping Andy Curtis. We always love to hear from you. <laughs> and we're going to turn first on Headliners of the Week to uh, Ben Brown. Who's your Headliner of the Week this week? Okay, I'm going to do the uh, inanimate object category. Yes. And I'm going to pick... <laughs> fire extinguishers. Uh, an audit report came out this week that uh, didn't name the employee that uh, is is under scrutiny right now, but it uh, was listed as a, a male assistant supervisor at the Division of Motor Vehicles uh, facing some disciplinary action. There was an investigation that found that he conducted some side business. Uh, I guess his wife owns a, a, fire ex- a fire extinguisher sales and service company that was doing some side business with some of the companies that this employee regulates in his law enforcement position at the, DO- at the DMV. We are working to verify who that is. Again, there. I guess the disciplinary action has yet to be fully carried out, and some things will be made public next week, from what we understand. But um, apparently, some of this work was done during company time, during DOT or DMV time. So I'm going to say fire extinguishers. All right, fire extinguishers might be the first time anyone's uh, suggested that they could be a, a headliner of the week. Is that really like a lucrative sideline? Is that kind of like Amway or something like you sell fire extinguishers <laughs> and get your friends to sell fire extinguishers and buy them? We're working to verify those details right now. Okay, sounds good. All right, turning next to Pat Gannon from The Insider. Who's your headliner of the week? Uh, I'm going to go with a sort of obscure one, and I don't plan to win with this, but um, Representative Gary Pendleton of Wake County, um, who, you know, in looking through campaign finance reports this week, he raised uh, roughly $236,000 in the second half of uh, 2015, including a $100,000 loan uh, from himself to his campaign. So that's kind of a lot of money, a pretty big haul for a rank and file uh, representative who makes, you know, 13000 or 14000 
um, dollars a year as a state representative. He's opposed in the uh, general election in November, clearly trying to stock up in case he has a uh, tough race. So Gary Pendleton, Wake County All representative. Right. Representative Gary Pendleton, uh, early haul. I guess he's uh, he doesn't want to take any chances on, on getting another term in the, the House of Representatives. And certainly Wake County's districts tend to be some of the, the most competitive in the state for a Democratic-Republican split. Uh, Always nice to see a few of those, given the uh, the way the districts are drawn. There aren't that many uh, of those competitive seats out there. All right. Uh, so we got uh, Gary Pendleton in the hat for headline of the week. Uh, Linda, are you going to jump in and do one, or are you uh, coming up dry this week? Yeah, I'm dry this week. <laughs> All right. So uh, well, between Gary Pendleton and fire extinguishers, oh boy. can the fire extinguisher extinguish the fundraising success of Gary Pendleton? I'm going to say yes. Why not? (laughs) You kind of guessed that with me being the host this week, that if it's an inanimate object, that's probably the direction I'm going. And so fire extinguishers, the the possible lucrative sideline for uh, state employees that no one has ever reported on before, uh, will be our headliner of the week. And uh, that'll do it for this week's Domecast. Uh, Thanks so much for hanging out with us and uh, joining us. We'll be back next week with uh, lots more political news and chatter from here at the News and Observer and the Insider. Have a great week. You've been listening to The Domecast, a production of the News & Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.